0: Good morning. Welcome to Okotok's Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Okay. You know, I was thinking this morning of my friend, Pastor Dale Ball in Kelowna, to visit them a couple years ago. After worship, they actually left the sanctuary, had coffee and stuff. Well, nobody wants to come back after having coffee and tea. <laughs> like we were enjoying the fellowship. You guys, I know you love fellowshipping with one another. It's kind of fun watching that. Well, let's uh, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 as we continue our walk through Mark's gospel. And today we're going to see Jesus come into conflict with the religious establishment. And it wasn't because Jesus was doing anything wrong, but rather that there was something wrong with the religious establishment and the religious culture of the day. And and this will be very very interesting as um, we give examination to this. So let's begin in verse 13. Then he went out again by the sea... And all the multitudes came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. So Jesus has been conducting his ministry around the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus would go from village to village teaching and instructing the people. So here he is this one day, walking along, and he sees this man who's a tax collector. And this man's name was Levi. Now he's also known in the Bible as Matthew, and yes, that's the same Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Now hands up, how many of you like the tax man? What, none of you? Well, it was kind of like that in Jesus' day as well. (laughs) In fact, these tax collectors were despised by the Jews. They were considered traitors because they collected taxes on behalf of Rome. I mean, think about it. The Romans were their oppressors. They hated them. And it cost a lot of money to keep those soldiers there to oppress them. And all these taxes that were being collected were essentially paying for their own oppression. So anyone aiding the Romans in any way, shape, or form was utterly despised, especially if he was a Jew. Now, the other issue was that tax collectors like to use their roles to kind of pad their own pockets. So not only were they traitors, but they were expert extortionists. So Levi would have been a complete outcast in Jewish society and culture. And as well, he would have been excommunicated from the synagogue. And he would have been considered a disgrace even with his own family. So with that as our backdrop, this is the guy that Jesus chooses to be one of his disciples. And when Jesus says, follow me, Levi arose and followed. Now, when Jesus called Peter, James, and John, what was their occupation? They were fishermen. Now, It was not the same sacrifice for them to leave their nets to follow Jesus. Let me explain. Because they could always go back to fishing if this didn't work out with Jesus, right? But not Levi. when he chooses to leave his position as a tax collector, he could never return to it. All that financial investment he had made to secure that position was gone. He was forfeiting it. And what he's saying is, I don't care how much money I've made at this job. I'm going to serve and glorify Jesus Christ. Regardless of the personal sacrifice or cost to me. So he followed him. Well, let's see what happens next. Verse 15. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples for there were many and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners they said to his disciples how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Now From the sounds of this, this is kind of like Levi's retirement party. All these other tax collectors and sinners come over to his house for dinner. And he thinks, look, I got a lot of friends. I want them to meet Jesus too. And at the end of verse 15, it says that they all followed him as well. In other words, when these people got to hang out with Jesus, when they got to see the love that he had for them and that he, the way that he cared about them. It changed their hearts. And they said, we want to be followers of this man too. And Jesus was showing that he was the friend of sinners. I mean, what a scandal! Jesus, the friend of sinners. My friends, this is something that we need to communicate much better than we do. How many people in our country have that impression of Jesus? That he loves them, that he cares for them, that he has an interest in them. He's truly the friend of sinners. Our culture has a weird and twisted version and view of Jesus. And sometimes you'll see people Marching down the street in great defiance, and great pride, in the midst of a sinful lifestyle, carrying placards, says, Jesus loves me just the way I am. And theologically speaking, I'd have to say their sign is correct. Jesus does love them just the way that they are. But we must remember that Jesus loves us even in the midst of our sin. But He also loves us too much to leave us there. He wants to redeem us out of it. And that's the whole point. That's the glorious message that we can preach as Christians. That Jesus loves you exactly where you're at. Exactly. And then he wants his love to transform your life and lift you up out of that place of sin. And so that message of Jesus needs to get out beyond our insulated walls. We need to be engaging our culture, bringing that message to them. Because if all we do is hang out with other Christians, that's just not going to happen. And we see that exact thing happening here in verse 13 or 15. Isn't that marvelous? Well, surprise, surprise. The Pharisees have an obje- objection with what's going on here. Look at verse 16. He says, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Now, did you notice that? These scribes and Pharisees aren't even mad enough to object to Jesus himself. They bring it to the disciples behind his back. But verse 17 says, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance Jesus answer is brilliant isn't it it's as simple as it is profound Jesus is saying look I'm the physician of the soul it makes sense for me to be with sick people I mean what would you think of a doctor who never wanted to be around the sick They only wanted to hang around with healthy people. I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? And I think it's amazing, here in verse 17, Jesus speaks about those who are well and who have no need of a physician. Now, I want you to tell me, of all the people there, Who would fit in that group? Nobody. None of the peoples, not the Pharisees, not the tax collectors, not the sinners. They all needed that. My friends, the Pharisees were just as sick as the people that Jesus was eating with because everybody has this sickness. Everybody needs the ministry of Jesus. Everybody needs the great physician, and this is a very um, n- common misunderstanding in our culture today. Now, let me ask you a question here. Why would someone who is sick and in need of a physician, why would they not go to a doctor? Well, the number one reason is it's because they don't know that they're sick it happens all the time maybe it's a slow developing disease that creeps up on them maybe they just don't feel that they're sick certainly nothing to talk to a doctor about I mean it's not life-threatening right you know they call heart disease And high blood pressure, the silent killer. And according to heart.org, it tells us that most of the time, high blood pressure or hypertension has no obvious symptoms to indicate that something is wrong. The best ways to protect yourself are being aware of the risks and making changes that matter. Well, spiritually speaking, We all have a heart problem. And Jesus, our great physician, came to heal us from that sickness of sin. So the first thing is, there are those who don't know that they're sick. Well, secondly, then there are those who know they're sick. They know they need to get help. But they don't know that there's a doctor. They don't know that there is someone who can help them, who wants to help them. And that is the great message of the gospel that we have to share. So there are those who don't know that there's a physician. And then finally, I think, this is the one that trips people up. (coughs) There are the ones who know they're sick. They know they need a doctor. They know the doctor is available. They know that the doctor cares about them, but they know what the doctor's going to tell them, and they don't want to hear it. They know what he's going to say. They know the price has been paid for them. They know what they need to do, but they'd just rather suffer through it on their own. And there are so many things you could say in that situation, but the one thing you cannot say is that it's the doctor's fault. His office is open, so there's really no one to blame but yourself for your state. Well, now as we continue to verse 18, we see kind of a related question. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? The Pharisees were well known for their fasting. In Luke 18, verse 12, it tells us that it was the custom of the Pharisees to fast twice a week. Now, it also made sense for the disciples of John the Baptist to fast as well, because John's... Ministry was stressing repentance. And so that kind of mourning or affliction of the soul was appropriate. But Jesus and his disciples didn't seem to fast at all. In fact, they seemed to be having a little bit too much fun. And you wonder if this isn't occasioned by this whole party that they were having at Levi's house. You see people walking by and they're looking into the windows and looking into the doors and they're saying, what's going on here? And they're thinking like, this Jesus guy, like he's having far too much fun for a holy man. He's not afflicting himself like the Pharisees or John's disciples do. My friends, let me just make something clear. God is not against fasting. In fact, God is very much for fasting. Fasting has its time and its place in the Christian life. And some of us are are guilty of not making time and place for it. And when we don't utilize it, we are out of balance. Well, these people were on the other side of that imbalance. And Jesus has to answer them. Look at verse 19. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. What a marvelous picture Jesus paints here because In the Jewish way of thinking, there was no more joyful occasion for the everyday person than a wedding feast. When somebody got married, that was the most joyful time in anybody's life. Because when somebody got married, they called a week-long party. And the number one rule for that party was to have a good time. As a matter of fact, the rabbi would say if there was any commandment of God that got in the way of you having a good time during this wedding party, then you didn't have to keep it. Let me give you an example. Let's say that during the wedding feast, you ran out of food for your guests. But it's the Sabbath day. And you don't want to break that commandment to go and get food. Well, the rabbi would say, don't worry about that Sabbath regulation. Go get your food. Because it's more important for you to have fun at this party. And your guests aren't going to have a lot of fun if they're not able <laughs> to have their food. So what Jesus is saying is very clear and very bold. He's saying, look at I'm not like the Pharisees. I'm not like John the Baptist. I am the Messiah. I am the bridegroom to the people of God. And while I'm here, it's appropriate to have the kind of joy that we have at a wedding. But there's another thing that Jesus really turns the spotlight on here. He says, it's not always going to be like this. The bridegroom will not always be with you. There will be a time when he's taken away from you and it's during this time that it will be appropriate to fast and pray. But that time is not right now. Verse 21 says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins, or else the new wine bursts the wine skins. The wine is spilled, and the wine skins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wine skins. You know, too many people. You know, to, to many people, the ministry of Jesus just didn't make any sense. I mean, a holy man shouldn't be having this much fun. A holy man shouldn't laugh this much. A holy man shouldn't enjoy himself with other people this much. Like, this just isn't right. So what Jesus is saying here in these two verses is you are locked into your religious traditions. And you just can't take what I'm bringing to you and put it over your old traditions. Because it'll tear. It'll break. It'll burst. And Jesus equates this blending of the old and the new to patching a cloth. When you mend a torn sheet by using a patch and the patch is from a different fabric, meaning the new piece hasn't been washed and it therefore hasn't shrunk yet, the first time you wash it, when it does shrink, what happens? It starts to pull away from the other sheet, and it tears. And then he uses this example of new wine in old wineskins. Now, when they would make wine, they would pour the new wine into new wineskins, and as the wine fermented, it would expand and stretch the new skins out. Now, if you're to put new wine into old wineskins... They've already been stretched out. And so you put this new wine, and as it's fermenting, it would cause the old skins to expand more. And they'd get stretched out more, and they would crack and spill out and even possibly burst. So what Jesus is saying here is that you have to receive this as something different. You have to receive this as something revolutionary. I've brought you something new and it can't be contained in old containers. You have to receive it in its new container. Who is the new container? Jesus. My friends, that is what salvation is all about. Yet sadly, many people have a real misconception of what it means. Look. They come to Jesus, Lord, I'm desperate. Lord, I want you. I need you. Jesus, can you just patch up this area of my life? I don't want anything else to change in my life. I'm really comfortable in my old rags. I, I just want a few nice patches on these old clothes. And Jesus is clearly saying, no, I don't want to do that. I want to give you a whole new life. I want to exchange your filthy rags of sin and pain and desperation, and I want to replace them with my robes of righteousness. I want everything to be different. I want a new wine poured into new wineskins, and I want to change everything from the inside out. So now we come to the final controversy of this chapter. So far, Jesus has had a controversy over the celebration at Levi's house, over the whole area of fasting, and now we'll see this new controversy over the Sabbath. Verse 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? See, Old Testament law told farmers that they could not completely harvest their fields. They needed to leave some of the edges unharvested. That was for scavengers, for the poor, for travelers, and they were able to glean from what was there we learned that when we were going through the book of Ruth <clears throat> so what's happening here is that the disciples as they're walking they just take in a few heads of grain to eat as a snack here and this is basically what they did they plucked a the head off a stalk of grain and now they have these kernels of grain in their hands and they would rub off the chaff of, on these few kernels. And then they would blow that chaff away. And voila, they have a nice little snack to eat. But the Pharisees see this and they freak out. And the issue wasn't that they did this. It's that they did this on the Sabbath. And you should know that the rabbis of Jesus' day had this elaborate list. And it contained all the do's and don'ts relevant to the Sabbath. And this violated one of the things on the list. I mean, look at this. As ridiculous as it sounds, you see, to the letter of the law, the disciples had been harvesting when they plucked the heads of grain. They'd been threshing when they rubbed off the chaff. They'd been winnowing when they blew that chaff away. And then they were cleaning and eating, which was preparing food for themselves. A handful of kernels. <coughs> so every single mouthful was a violation of... Of that Sabbath law and these Pharisees says well we can't have that my friends God has given us the law the Sabbath and we should keep it but this was not breaking God's law this was a violation of man's regulations If this had broken God's law, I will tell you, I guarantee you, Jesus would have turned to his disciples and said, don't do that. He wouldn't have let them break the law. Jesus was a rabbi. And I believe that this is what really trips us up so often. It's not God's command. It's what man puts on top of God's command, right? And this is what the Pharisees had done in rabbinic Judaism of Jesus' day especially as it pertained to the Sabbath. I could go through a long list of some of the things that they would do and then all the little tricks that they would do to get out of it. I'll give you one just off when I'm in Israel, I always get a kick out of going into the orthodox section. And there's actually a cord going around the entire section that's connected from one end to the other so as long as you're walking with that cord it's still connected to one location so you're not you know you're not worrying about the sabbath day's journey and how far you have to go because technically they're connected i mean they find all sorts of different ways to get around because as long as they're holding on to that rope then they're connected to that facility right verse 25 it says but he said to them have you ever read what David did when he was in need and hungry he and those with him how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the the high priest and ate the showbread which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him so Jesus says to these Pharisees, wait a second. You don't understand anything. These disciples of mine are hungry. And you Pharisees don't seem to understand that. Here's the point. The human need is more important than the ritual observance. So when Jesus uses the example of David from 1 Samuel 21, how when he and his men were on the run, they came up to the tabernacle of God and they had this holy bread that was consecrated to God and only the priest could eat it. But David and his men were in a time of need and so the priest gave it to David and to his men to eat. Even though it was a violation of The religious ritual. Because the human need was greater than the religious rituals. Now, do we really understand that? Let's say that it's Sunday morning. It is, but let's say it's another Sunday morning. (laughs) And you're getting ready for church. You're all showered and dressed and ready to go out the door. And you walk out your front door and you see your neighbor is moving. And they're in desperate need of help in doing so. My friends, the most Christian thing you could do in that moment would not be to go to church. It would be to go and help them move. The human need is more important than the ritual observance. There are you could watch it online, you know, you could go to another service or you know it's really important to meet the need of your neighbor, but I do want to make something perfectly clear here yes, you need to be in the word of God yes, you need to worship with God's people, but listen human need is important too but I want you to hear this and hear it clearly really Helping people in doing good works is not the enemy of church attendance. Staying up too late on Saturday night is. Sleeping in on Sunday morning is. Oh, there's something I wanted to watch on TV today. Or my favorite team is playing. Or I just need some me time. Those types of things are the enemy of church attendance. And so we need to understand this and we need to take it very seriously. Well, let's look at the last thing Jesus says here in verse 27. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And here's the second reason why these Pharisees were wrong in their criticism of the disciples. And that the second principle is even more dramatic than the first one. That Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. You know, I can just picture the looks on the faces of these scribes and Pharisees. Their jaws must have just hit the floor. I mean, I just wish I was there. You know, when he goes and says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, they're going... And if he, the very Lord of the Sabbath, wasn't offended by his disciples' actions, then these sideline critics shouldn't have been offended either, right? So our chapter ends with Jesus taking this great, exalted place. Now, did you notice, through all the verses that we've covered this morning, Do you see that Jesus is really shaking things up? Jesus called Levi, a very unexpected man to call, and he says, I'm going to call that man. I'm going to use him. You follow me. And of course, Jesus calls you this morning, doesn't he? What will your answer be to his call? Second of all, Jesus brought joy to others. There he was at this party. He's at this feast. But there in the midst of it all, Jesus wanted to bring joy into their lives. And Jesus wants to bring joy into your life this morning. And finally, Jesus put human need before religious rituals. He said, look, it, it's more important for us to honor him. It's more important to meet the human need. He's in the fir- the first in our lives, and in our actions. What kind of a message would it send if you just ignored your neighbor and just walked off? Well, where did you go? <laughs> I'm struggling. Where did you go? Question is: Will you receive Jesus being? In that place in your life this morning? Will you recognize Him as being not just the Lord of the Sabbath, but the Lord of Monday, the Lord of Tuesday, the Lord of Wednesday, and so on? Having the Lord God over every single day on the calendar and that's how Jesus leads us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, for that old line that says if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. And so Lord, I just pray that we will look at this passage and not through the eyes of legalism or ritual or right Lord, you did things differently. You didn't have a routine. A religious ritual is over and over and over and over again. You never even healed people the same way twice. And so, Lord, or or the same way (laughs) twice. Lord, help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit to respond to the needs of those that You place in our path. Lord, to not look at a person's position or stature or lack thereof and think that You can't use them. God, You saw somebody who was cast down, nobody wanted anything to do with, and You said, follow me. Lord, help us to have Your eyes on a world that needs you. Help us to have that love and that care that Jesus showed to those tax collectors and sinners. The eyes that I care for you, I want to help you, I want to come alongside you. He never looked down on them at all. So Lord, help us to take this to heart. Help us to know that your the Lord of all. And Lord, help us to respond accordingly. So thank you for this passage. Thank you that you were willing to give all to be able to give us this salvation. And we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.